Hello, friends, and welcome to a special bonus edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spastiano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? I am doing great, and quite honestly, I am so excited for tonight's episode. This is going to be very interesting for us, and I think it's going to be very interesting for our listeners. Absolutely. Well, we're joined by a guest, a special guest, a friend of the show. Uh, he goes by many names. Some call him the Granable. Some call him the King of Connecticut. Some call him the best talker in the business. He is... The legend himself, Matt Granahan. Matt, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, guys. And, and, and you know, I like to call my I like to call myself the pernicious purveyor of preposterous pomposity and the paragon of pugilistic punditry, baby. That's the best <laughs> alliteration of all time. Oh, oh my god! Don't, just don't ask me to repeat that. <laughs> I, I learned a lot of great uh, vocabulary as a youngster from Nick Bockwinkle and Gorilla Monsoon. Well, that's two, two and, good talkers to learn Soli. from. And Gord Soley, of course. There you go. Well, usually this is the part of the uh, part of the show when we would get into some questions and answers, but we're gonna uh, we're gonna kind of play it a little differently today. You're you're on to talk about specifically. There's some announcements to make and some future plans in the works. So uh, get right to it. You got you got some stories coming up and uh, potential big news on the in the fight world. So what you got? Yeah. So just to preface it, I was on your your previous show last year with uh, George Anastasia. And uh, George Anastasia wrote the New York Times bestselling book, uh, Gotti's Rules, with uh, Johnny Alight, who uh, was uh, partners in, with John Gotti Jr. in the Gambino crime family. And uh, he, just to give you some numbers, he did a Valuetainment podcast, has over 6 million views. Uh, he did Vlad TV, uh, talked to Johnny earlier. He said that their total views are over 8 million between all the clips on that show. So people eat this up. America has long had a fascination with Cosa Nostra. And uh, think about it this way. And, and this is kind of how I preface it when I do the interviews these days with these guys, the stuff we never talk about, guys like Johnny A. Light and my good buddy Larry Mazza, who is with the Colombo family. I preface it by saying, it's ironic what started out as a secret society on the island where my own grandparents and great-grandparents immigrated from has become huge in every aspect and permeated every aspect of popular culture. From movies, The Godfather, to TV shows like Sopranos and Wise Guys, uh, to historical events like the Kennedy assassination. People eat this stuff up. And to use a parallel, people love professional wrestling. They still do. They love professional wrestling for decades. People love movies like The Godfather uh, and Goodfellas and all these shows for decades. Casino. Um, but that kind of transition happened with MMA where they started to get the gritty real stuff. And now in the world of uh, America's fascination with Cosa Nostra, they are into the gritty real stuff and the gritty reality. And there is uh, no greater gritty reality than the gentleman that I've been uh, working with. I'm going to be doing a Larry Mazza experience event down in Port St. Lucie coming up here on August 8th. And then we've got one in Cocoa Beach August 10th, basically taking our interview uh, in front of a live crowd and he has a great book called the life he was uh the grim reaper uh greg scarp was right hand man in the colombo family and he has such an amazing story uh and um johnny a light of course we we touched on his history so i am combining the world of cosa nostra and america's fascination with cosa nostra and i'm combining it with combat sports 
And I say Cosa Nostra for um, a, a very important reason. I never use the words, uh, it's really two words, mafia. Uh, my grandfather, great-grandfather, my uncles were all um, proud Sicilians. And mafia should never be used outside of describing uh, the island of Sicily. Because the word goes back to uh, an old fable when the French occupied the island. And the word's been bastardized in America. There's never been a mafia in America. It's Cosa Nostra. And it's even worse when they use it in conjunction with Russians and some of these other groups. Um, so that's what's going on. We're looking at getting a fight between Gotti III, who's been protected. He's sponsored by Hunts. He's been fed all these tomato cans. <laughs> and it, it's and not that I not that I didn't do that myself during my brief. MMA career, I can I can uh, understand why he's why he's wanting to get his record padded and not and not get his brains beat out. But we are offering him a fight with tremendous backstory. There has never been a backstory like this in the history of pro wrestling, MMA, boxing, any combat sport. If you go back and you read the papers during the Gotti Jr. trial, you're going to read about Phil Baroni who was with the Gambino family, uh, murdered guys. He was involved with Johnny A-Light. He was Johnny A-Light's partner uh, in bookmaking as well as in sports gambling, as well in sports gambling, as well as in loan sharking. And uh, during that trial, he uh, had to testify, but he had a son who was known as the badass of New York. And he did not get that name from his great record on the wrestling mat in high school and college, which he had a great record. He did not get that from his boxing career when he went into pro boxing. He got the nickname, the badass of New York, which was modified to New York badass from Johnny a light because of the scores he did. He lived with Johnny a light. He's, he was integrally involved, and, and Johnny, Johnny's talked about this on a number of shows, so I'm not speaking out of school. He's actually going on Dan Severn's show uh, next week to talk about that. Uh, Phil Baroni left Hofstra, was wrestling at Hofstra. The reason he left Hofstra was because he was stabbed up, and it's, it's a fairly involved story that involved him collecting and was moved out to Michigan. And he did all of this with and for the Gambino crime family. So this fight between Gotti III and the New York badass Phil Baroni has an epic, epic backstory. And we want to make this fight happen. Um, so guys, I talked to Derek Panza, who is uh, Gotti III's trainer. Got kind of the runaround from him. We've been wanting to do this fight for a while. So I brought Johnny Alight with me uh, to a pro wrestling show at the Showboat Casino. And we got everybody talking. We did a press conference with Princeton University and Bob Carson, who's a veteran MMA journalist. And uh, we put it up on Hannibal TV, Canada's top combat sports podcast. We put it up on Johnny A. Light's uh, social media. We put it up on uh, the underground on mixedmartialarts.com and the Gotti's have responded. Gene Gotti issued a statement uh, and Sammy the Bull Gravano decided that he wanted to talk about this. And Sammy the Bull, I told you before, you know nothing about the fight business. He said that we were involving, that A-Light was involving Gotti's child. You could never involve the child. This is a grown man, not a child. He's a professional fighter, and we're offering him national exposure. Most fans don't even know that the Teflon Don's grandson is fighting in a cage. So that's one of the big things that are going on. I've been talking with CES MMA. Uh, out of New England, which is Gotti's management, and 
ironically, the promotion that he fights for exclusively, which is tied in with the gym up there. And that's how you pad records, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tell you how you pad records in mixed martial arts. That's how it's done. And they're padding this kid's record. Phil Baroni has fought the who's who. He went into the shark tank right away. Started his career in UFC. Fought Matt Lindland. Fought world champions like Frank Shamrock. Gotti Third is fighting bums from up the block that are sponsored by Hunt. So we're calling him out to a fight. And the other big story, the main reason I wanted to come on, was um, are you guys familiar with the Soprano Con that goes on in uh, Atlantic City? With the what con? Uh, the Soprano Con. I'm not. It's a big mob con. It's with the Sopranos, all the cast of the oh, Sopranos. Wow. Okay. Um, they made an an- well, they made an announcement last week that they were going to be doing a movie with Armand DeSante coming back um, with uh, David Chase, I believe his name is, from The Sopranos, the the guy that did The Sopranos, working with the Gotti family. And they're going to be doing this movie in conjunction with the Gotti family. Now, Johnny Aylett, as I mentioned, has the best-selling book, New York Times best-selling book, Gotti's Rules. So what we're doing, and we're in the Sal Franciosa, who did the Fight Valley movie with uh, Misha Tate, Chris Cyborg, Holly Holm, good friend of mine. We're working with him, and we're also meeting with Garrett Bischoff in Florida, who's Eric Bischoff's son, because yeah. his dad is gonna is gonna zoom in on this, um, discussing this movie. We want to do a movie, God on Gotti's Rules on the New York Times best-selling book, and if you want to see the whitewash version. The Hollywood version, you can watch their movie. If you want to see the gritty version, the reality of the Gotties, this Gotties Rules movie is for you. So I know that's a lot to chew on, gentlemen, but I wanted to get all that out there about what's going on. So so just to be clear, you've got uh, a movie coming up, or in the works, I should say, based on a best-selling book that we've talked about on the show before. And you're, I, I saw some of the promos. Still, like I said, you're still a phenomenal talker. I saw some of the taunting, some of the promos. You're trying to build a fight between Phil Baroni and John Gotti III, which is a fight I would pay to see. And like you said, that's got some story to it. That's, uh, you know, we, I mean, we've talked about it before. Sometimes, you you know, life better, better writes itself better than fiction. That's a hell of a narrative. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, and I've known this story for a long time with Phil and Phil's background, and, and all his stuff is stuff that he, he never used to talk about, and, and the world has changed. I mean, these mob podcasts are on fire. I mean, they're, the, they're getting the largest views on the top podcasts on YouTube, you know, with Valuetainment, with Vlad TV. It's insane. And I mentioned Dan the Beast Severed. I found out some crazy stuff today. I knew that Dan had mentioned Sammy Gravano before. And I knew that Dan had some sort of involvement with the Detroit mob. But I didn't know his backstory with Sammy the Bull Gravano. And I was on a call with him and John Elite earlier today. And I still don't know how to pronounce his name, even though I know the guy now. It's Elite or A-Lite. But I was on, um, I say it interchangeably. Um, we were on this call, and Dan tells his story. It's unbelievable. Dan was involved in a construction project with Sammy the Bull Gravano just before Sammy the Bull got pinched for his ecstasy ring. And um, the whole thing went south. And Dan was at Sammy's house, and Sammy was getting an attitude with him. And the beast verbally but but rather sternly reminded him what might happen to him what the Gaudis would like to happen to him if it was just the two of them in the house which it was at the time you don't mess around with my good buddy dan the beast seven especially when you're uh you know i i you know, sammy the bull 
Uh, he calls himself the bull. I, I think he's he's more like, you know, we use the rat word, and and uh, you know, I understand, you know, why some of these guys, you know, I want to cooperate depending on what they're looking at. But Sammy put a lot of people in prison, uh, a lot of guys in prison. I I prefer to call him Sammy the Rat. Yeah. I actually Salvatore the Rat because his name's not even Sammy. His name is Salvatore. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So he's now involved in it. He 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 cut a promo on it um, for his people, and I cut a promo on his promo. And now we're going to tell the story, the backstory uh, between Dan the Beast Severn and um, Sammy. So it's it, it's unbelievable the parallels. I mean, I know you guys probably watched Dark Side of the Ring, and um, they did they did an episode on uh, Dino Bravo, you know, with mm-hmm. Vic Catroni. Oh, yeah. but. He's certainly not uh, the only guy uh, in the uh, world of professional wrestling that's been involved with the, the world of Cosa Nostra. There's, uh, you know, I, I mentioned on uh, on your other show about the original Godfather movie and uh, Lenny Montana, who played mm-hmm. Luca Brasi. Uh, so there's we're we're gonna we're gonna marry these two worlds. Rob Van Dam was just on um, Johnny A. White's show. And I'll tell you a funny story about Rob Van Dam that, that he told on the show. Um, Rob, Rob Van Dam is a is a huge, huge fan of all those mob genre. And um, when he was with Phil and I in Charlotte, um, he that was all he wanted to talk about. And this is, predates all this. This was like six years ago. So I, we don't even think anything of it because there was never there was never any money in, in talking about this stuff. But Phil told him some stories, and uh, he was obsessed. I mean, just obsessed. And so um, we closed the bar there, and this was a story that Rob told. And I refereed a match in the pond uh, for some of the young ladies that were still hanging around after hours at the bar between Phil and RVD. And RVD did a uh, yeah, one of his backflips and he, he caught his face on the cement uh, on the side of his pond and oh. busted, busted his face up pretty good. I mean, he could have, he could have killed himself. And the story that circulated around the convention uh, was that, uh, that Phil had punched him in the face. They got into a fight and Phil, Phil had beat him up and punched him in the face. And, and even Phil was telling everybody that's not what happened. So that was the story that Rob told, but I, uh, I mean, there's just, there's so many, there's so many overlaps here. It's, it's incredible. And we're just getting started with this stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny when you, when you look at, at how every, like you said, how everything overlaps, just the world, the entertainment, and the, just the, just the personalities tend to be very similar. Go ahead, yeah. what you got. So, so Matt, backtracking a little bit, you, you know, you mentioned about, you know, the, the American public and their fascination with the mafia. And, you know, you mentioned the Godfather. And in my mind, I'm going back. I mean, it, you really think about it, like Al Capone, uh, Bugsy Siegel, Albert Anastasia, yeah. the TV show, The Untouchables. Oh, yeah. You know, way be, before even The Godfather. And it goes back before I, The Godfather. Yeah. Right. And I think, I, I guess my, I have a question and then a, an opinion, but I want you to, you know, uh, comment on both. Um, my question is, and these these mafia dons to me, and I think to a lot of the American public, they're of the same stature of like you know of a Clint Eastwood or a, you know an Ozzy Osbourne, like a you know a huge rock star. Yeah. They're 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 movie stars and rock stars like just the same. And I, I guess my question is, uh, what what is it that um, what do, what do you think it is about them that that draws the American public, that draws the the fascination of the American public? And then my other my comment, which I also want you to, to to comment on, is I think this fight because I really, quite honestly, I loved boxing as a kid. My uncle, his name is Isidore Genazzo. He uh, I think it was in 1945 or maybe before that. He actually fought Bar- uh, Barney Ross for the World Welterweight title. So I grew up with boxing. You know, back in the 70s, you got you know. Uh, Thomas Hearns, Marvin, you know Mar- Marvin Hagler. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, something like that fight that you talked about, I think not only would, would it draw me back into what you know being emotionally invested, 
I think it would, you know, transcend just like boxing fans. You get a lot of the American public interested in that. Yeah, you know, uh, I think to answer the second question first, I, I, I again, I don't think that the boxing match with uh, with A Light and Gotti Jr. is going to materialize for a few reasons. Uh, one reason is um, Gotti Jr. Is, is vicious. He has a uh, a website where he personally attacks uh, A Light's family, his mother. Um, his daughter, his son. Uh, it's really, you know, it's, it's disgusting stuff. And, and um, he's not in shape. Gotti Jr.'s not in, in anywhere near in, in fighting shape. From what we've heard, you know, and, and Johnny knows a lot of the guys that are close to him, his family, he's fat, he's out of shape. And that's one reason. And then the last reason is he, he's never going to want to do anything with, with me like, I mean, it would be great. Now, that doesn't mean that we couldn't do I worked with celebrity boxing uh, down in Florida I hosted their, one of their events in Fort Lauderdale that doesn't mean we couldn't have a celebrity boxing with uh, like a Johnny Johnny A. Light and Larry Mazza uh, I just don't think that the uh, I'll put it this way I, I would be willing to bet substantially that, that Gotti Jr. is never going to want to do it now as far as will his son get in a cage with Phil Baroni? Right. I think yes. And I, and I think that for a few reasons. Uh, five years ago, Gotti III called Phil out. A lot of people don't realize that. He knows the history between the, his families, obviously. And I think, this, I, I think this, this young man wants to be his own man. And I don't think he likes the rhetoric that he's being fed tomato cans and that he's being coddled. I, I get the impression that he's, he's going to want to step up here. And the last reason is I, I've been speaking with these CES MMA guys. I haven't talked live, but we've been talking just a little bit with, with chat. I don't think they're going to be able to say no to it because they're a small regional promotion and it gets them national exposure big time. Now, the last reason really is Phil Baroni is getting into his late 40s. And, I mean, let's face it. He didn't look that good in the bare-knuckle fight with Chris Lieben that he had recently. Uh, he's had cardiovascular issues. And he's an older man. So, and, and Gotti Jr. is, or Gotti third rather, is a younger man. So, I, I think this could be a good passing of the torch fight and money fight and exposure fight for God the third. Uh, and then on your, your first question with the fascination, it's uh, America has always been fascinated by outlaws, right? I mean, let's face it. We were founded in this country. We weren't founded by Namby Pamby sissies. We were founded <laughs> by outlaws. We fought a revolutionary war we were outlaws and society in general, especially today with all this political correctness has tried to water everybody down. I think the fascination with Cosa Nostra is a lot like fascination with pirates. It's a lot like fascination with cowboys. We are a nation of outlaws at our core. And we're not a nation of law-abiding goody-two-shoes. You, you know, it, it's funny. We talked about it on your last appearance on the old show, but I can't remember, and I, I am a diehard cinephile as far as watching thousands of movies and every TV show I get my hands on. Uh, it Really, the idea of I, I hate to use the word, but the idea of a mafia, of a mob, of of an organized crime is a relatively new concept. Prior to the, yeah. really, the 70s, it, that was the defense. I don't know what the government's talking about. There's no such thing as, as the mafia. There's no such thing as the mob. We don't know what yeah. you're talking about. To go from from not existing to being as, I, I can't think of anything that, that permeated culture so fast 
within a short time period of finally acknowledging what it what it was and who it was to movies yeah. like The Godfather uh, almost instantly and being and it's been a mainstay unlike you know the westerns and zombies and vampires and some of these genres that that have come and gone in Hollywood even even as early as as, as a year ago they were making big movies uh, the Irishman big movies based on organized crime oh there uh, there's been it's like as as Benny said it goes back even even before the Godfather but when the Godfather movie came out it was a little bit different and uh, you guys probably know the the history with Joe Colombo uh, and uh, the Italian rights civil rights organization where they didn't want the movie to come out. And my mom tells a story about how pissed off my grandfather got that she and her brother, my uncle went to go see that movie because he was despised the fact that they would put this movie out there for a few reasons, because of the, the negative stereotypes and also because it was, it was supposed to be something private and that goes back to, and, and, and I stress that again, because people don't understand that it goes back to the history of an Island that was had many occupiers and it was something unique to our culture. Liberals always love to talk about cultural appropriation. The use of that word in any other context other than the Island of Sicily is cultural appropriation. You know, and I'm not a liberal. I, ex- you know, I accept the fact that it's been used in that way, but it's, it's, it's an interesting and, and people don't understand. Even the guys that are in that life, they don't understand that history. I mean, Larry did when I told him, you know, Larry Moswood, when I was interviewing him the first time and we sat down and talked about it before our interview. But a lot of the, the newer guys, they, they, they don't understand. It's, it's, it's wild. It's crazy. And like you said, in a sense, doesn't it kind of mirror professional wrestling? Omerta, Merta, Kayfabe? Kayfabe, right. Yeah, absolutely. And and now look at professional wrestling. I mean, profession. I don't agree with it at all, and we can talk about professional wrestling. I was brought into professional wrestling a much different way uh, than a lot of people. One of my mentors, Billy Wicks, he stretched the shit out of you. If if you said, I'm sorry to apologize for foul language, but if if you dare use the F word. And I do the same damn thing. You know, I've always said there is nothing I do in that ring that I couldn't do to each and every one of you slobs paying to see me. So I think there are some guys in, the, in that life that are old school in that way too, but it's dying out. The old school is dying out. And look at all the guys that are cooperating. Look at all the bosses that are cooperating in in uh, Cosa Nostra. It's crazy. You know, it's it's funny the parallel to get our own. Benny and I have had plenty of of elder statesmen of the business on the show, and one of the universal complaints they all seem to have about the current product is the wrestlers today are a lot smaller than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it's almost well, this. Go ahead. They're smaller, but there's another thing. Um, if you go back and you read Rough and Tumble, the book that I, I did with Eric Paulson, coming up through professional wrestling, I was talking uh, to Garrett Bischoff yesterday about Vern Gagne. Vern Gagne was the greatest American professional wrestler, or American amateur wrestler of his era, bar none. And the second and third greatest were also professional wrestlers. The second and third greatest heavyweights in NCAA at that time. Um, we're all we're also professional wrestlers. So the business changed. You get a guy like Kurt Angle who comes into it in the in the late nineties or whenever he did, and even then he doesn't know the history. You know, so I think that's I think that's a big pet peeve of mine if you want to talk, you know, professional wrestling is um it, it also these guys they're they're breaking kayfabe like crazy on their social media. Yeah. With the storylines, like they're all friends, you know, like that, like the heels and the baby faces are friends. I mean, it's, uh, but, but, but the, there's a great similarity between the two, right? Because you've got professional wrestling when Eddie Mansfield came out and exposed it and, and, and go back and look at Stossel 
you know, when Dr. D, you know, knocked Stossel down, right? Yeah. Uh, now you've got, you've got these guys from sitcoms that are going in the ring and tossing around guys like The Miz. Hey, think about even Roddy Piper when Mr. T came into the business. Go back and watch that match. Go back and watch the tag match from WrestleMania 1. And go back and see how they rode uh, Mr. T and how they amateur wrestled him and blew him up. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how the, the parallels that are there. And I think one of the, one of the things that's, that's going on that Larry and I, Larry Maz and I have discussed is in, in, the, world, in the world of Cosa Nostra, there's something going on that people don't realize. The guys that are still in that, it's, it's going back to being much more of a tighter group of people that don't let in any outsiders. These guys that are talking about it, are, they're all cooperators. They're not involved in it anymore. That's what I said in the, in the, in the promo I cut on, uh, on Sammy the Bull. So it's, it's just so it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's an amazing um, that this is coming together the way that it is. Matt, so back to wrestling for a second. And I grew up, you know, I grew up in, actually I grew up about two or three minutes from Phil Barone. I grew up in Farmingdale, which was the next town over from Massapequa Park. Yeah. Uh, and I, I spent many a night at Nassau Community College as well. But um, I, And I grew up in the 60s. I started watching wrestling in 1968 because I'm a little bit older. And, uh, of course, yeah. Bruno San Martino was my hero. And, yeah. I, you know, the thing about what I can't really deal with now is I have zero emotional investment because it's it's so, you know, it's so fake. I mean, there's no even attempt to make it authentic. Yeah. And I guess my question is, and and the, it's reflected in the, in the ratings. The ratings are horrible. I mean, probably like one fifth of the people who watch wrestling, you know, it's like one fifth of what what watched wrestling twenty years ago. People are just they're not buying it anymore. So I guess my question is, if you had a half an hour to sit in Vince McMahon's office, what what suggestions would you make to him to 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 make the product a little bit more like you know uh, marketable or like bearable to a guy like me who like would love to see old school wrestling. Yeah, I, w- I would do a couple things, and I and I said this on the Hannibal show. I would I would go back to the Attitude Era and realize who your core audience is as as males, and I would I would have enormously attractive women in risque storylines, but I'd have the action in the ring be more real, and I would go back and do something they used to do, which is I'd call fans in the ring. Uh, and do it like Carney, do Carney challenges, and only use your your, your top shooters to to do that um, to get rid of that the, the whole fake stigma, you know, because yeah. that can you can get rid of that pretty quickly, uh, you know. Uh, put me in a ring with a fan that thinks it's fake, and I'll get, and I'll end that I'll end that pretty quick, you know. So I think they ought to do that, and I and I, I love the Attitude Era. Uh, I I I talk a lot to Jerry Briscoe. Uh, I had a kid that I had coached. Uh, in in uh, high school, Tim Dudley that went on to University of Nebraska that uh, was second in the nation. That Dudley that um, Briscoe was very involved in in trying to recruit, and then he got let go from the company. But um, Jerry and I have had a numerous talks about that. Go back to the days of Jack and Jerry Briscoe. Watch watch some of their matches, like with the Funks. Go back to that style of wrestling with the excitement of the Attitude Era, and just combine those two. And go back and do vignettes. They stopped doing vignettes. Whenever I was doing pro wrestling, if I had a, a, a match I was building up, coming up on the indies, I always did vignettes to get people excited about it. And, and real storylines. Like, this is a great example. This storyline with Gotti III and, and Phil Brony. And one thing about Phil, um, his mother he, oh, was Massapequa. Um, he spent the summers were in Queens and Woodhaven with his father. Um, and that was where... That's where all this co- this comes from with Alight and uh, with um, his father and and you guys can go back and read some of the articles in the New York papers about uh, Phil Baroni during that Gotti Jr. trial. It's pretty crazy stuff. And imagine the trailer. I mean, that's which in, in in trailers for matches. I mean, this is a great. You're you're actually seeing it. 
stories that write themselves, find stories that write themselves like this one. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and, and Bruno Sammartino, I mean, that was a great story. I had uh, Larry Zabisco on my old podcast, one of my favorite guests and his story with Larry was true. Absolutely. You know, he was sneaking in the bushes um, or with Bruno, he was sneaking in the bushes, watching Bruno in his pool, getting the nerve, you know, to talk to him. And Bruno brought him up as his apprentice. And then he turned on Bruno and got, that got so much heat. The teacher student thing. I mean, there's, there's so many, uh, there's so many great storylines out there that have already been done. And, and rip and rip things from the headlines too. You know, I'm going to tell you guys uh, a conversation I had with Jim Cornette when we had our table next to him at uh, one of the fan fests. Uh, it was right after this. This kind of will sum up my thinking of uh, professional wrestling because it's got to spend reality. You got to get all the PC crap out of it. When um, the whole deal happened, the scandal with Hulk Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge, when the tape uh, surfaced of Hogan's private conversation, you know, where he dropped an N-bomb with, with uh, Bubba's wife, um, I said to Cornette, you want to know what I would do? I would get Brooke Hogan out on Monday Night Raw, put her in the center of the ring, get her on the mic, have her call Daddy out to the ring, and say, Daddy, Daddy, I'm pregnant, and I don't know who the father is. And then I would bring in Mark Henry, and I would bring in a few of, a few of the guys. And then the last one I would bring in, and she would say, you know, I had the best moments with this last guy. I, I, I kind of think it's him. And then have Teddy Long come out, dancing out <laughs> to the ring. That's how that, I mean, that's just one example. I mean, I could write shit like that for them every week. That's, that's what you've got to do is exciting stuff. You you can't pro wrestling has got to be suspension of reality. Suspension of belief. If you've, you know, all the things that you talk about, why do people love the mob stuff? It's because it's the stuff you want to, you want to do in your own. Who doesn't, who doesn't have an occasion where they want to kill their boss? You know, like Gotti did. Who doesn't have, you know, have an occasion where, you know, if somebody does them wrong or owes them money, they want to break their kneecaps. You know, that's why people are attracted to the mob stuff. And that's where pro wrestling needs to be. I mean, you had the old vignettes of the horsemen going out there, you know, beating guys with tire irons. You know, that, that was, that kind of mirrored that. The problem now is it's too stale and it's too mundane and it can't be, it's just like comedy. It's just like comedy, and I'm doing stand-up for long. You cannot be politically correct in professional wrestling. You ruin it. Well, that was the uh, that was the appeal that the Stone Cold Steve Austin character had. Have a bad day, yeah. go out to the ring, punch your boss, and then have a beer. Oh, you know, great! Fan, yeah, fans that was ate great it time. up. That was the best time. That Attitude Era, and that's why I say. That was pre-UFC boom. And then after the UFC boom, the only tweak you got to do to that is you got you to make the, the actual in-ring stuff a little bit more um, stiff and more believable. And, and uh, yeah. I think, and I, I like the idea of, of doing like a, like a little fan challenge thing before the, the match. But, but yeah, I mean, that was the best time, I think. And, and I know you had, you, got, you had Vince Russo on your old show. I, I really like Vince Russo. I think Vince... I think Vince Russo had some of the best stuff there. I know a lot of people don't like him, but I think he had some of the best stuff in, in uh, uh, the Attitude Era. How yeah. old is Mark Henry's hand now? You know, his hand shot. I think he's old enough to drive. Uh, I was going yeah, uh, to say, <laughs> they, they, the, they had the hand show up on... Uh, on one of the anniversary shows, some guy walking, just walking around backstage dressed like a giant hand. Too bad they don't have oh, the old to great. tell the truth show. That would be like, I'm the hand. No, I'm the hand. That's great. Yeah. But that's another, that's another great example. Great example. Uh, why are there highest rated shows when they bring these guys back from 30 years ago or 25 years ago? They, they, when they, they have to bring Ric Flair back. During the Attitude Era, 
They never, they never brought guys back from 25, 30 years earlier. Right. It just shows you that they don't have anybody that people are, people are, that's what's why Hannibal has, he was, he was supposed to be in WWE and he had that whole situation with Abdul the Butcher and the, the whole thing with, the, with his illness. And why his, his channel took off is because people love to hear the stories and interviews from when they watched wrestling more than they like to watch the actual wrestling of today. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at, look at just us, uh, you know, the most yeah. popular, the most popular shows we've had since Benny and I started doing this with Jimmy Valiant and so all the old, oh, the yeah. old timers, the, the old series when we had like Larry Zabisco and, you know, bringing out some of the older names. Um, it's funny, actually, you talk about the, uh, about the shoot, the shooting on the fans. One of the more fun interviews Benny and I did was about the old Bob Roop and the old sugar hold challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, exactly. That was great. I mean, Bob Backlund used to do that too. Uh, he told me about that. I wrote about that in our, in our rough and tumble book, but that's straight out of the carny stuff. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I don't know what the future of professional wrestling is. I think it might go back as bad as these ratings are, I mean, I'm just hypothesizing. What if, what if WWE eventually loses their big TV deals? What happens then? You go back to the territory days. Well, that was something we talked about not that long ago. Actually, was you know, especially now with as as divided as everything is, with you know, just. You can't you can't even dislike a movie without people wanting to wanting to literally kill you because you don't yeah. agree with them on something. Maybe maybe wrestling needs to be regional again because clearly the fans in Georgia and Florida and Texas don't like the same kind of wrestling that the fans in New York and you know some of these places out in in places like the Cow Palace out in Oregon or parts of parts of Tennessee. Uh, I just went uh, over the weekend to a show here in Virginia, you know, five, 500 people in a small little, they can, the, the auditorium of a Masonic temple, you know, you, yeah. you wouldn't see anything like what we watched on TV. You know, it maybe, maybe wrestling it, the Phoenix, you know, it needs to burn down so it can rise from the ashes. Well, maybe it I needs mean, just, to fail. Just, you know, growing up, if you grew up in Memphis every Monday night, you got to go to the Memphis Coliseum and you got to see Jerry Lawler yeah. and Bill Dundee and Jimmy Valiant. You know, if you live in Memphis now, what do you get? Maybe the WWE comes through town once or twice a year. I, I, I'd much rather go every week. Yeah, they have some of that um, in the Carolinas. I, I uh, did a lot of, I wrestled a lot of matches in APW in Spartanburg that are, uh, were host, they're hosted by good old George South, the old, jo the old uh, jobber. And, oh, yeah. uh, um, I did a, that, that's where we did the, the, uh, legends Dixon's pay-per-view where I did the mix tag was, was Stefan Bonner and the, the girls from the, uh, the beautiful ladies of oil wrestling. And we kind of did like an attitude era kind of show, but they run every Saturday, every Saturday. And they got some good storylines and, and, and those are like local. So when I used to wrestle out there, every time I went out there, uh, for work, for, for other business. I know people would always remember me from the rap one, especially when I was the Sheik, because I did the Sheik for a while back there, 2008 to 2010, and um, people would people would uh, hate me out there and, and get real heat. I mean, that's the other thing too. You don't have heels that that want to get real heat anymore. No, everybody wants to be every, and you see it. it, it, it no disrespect, because we, we've had some of their their fans and friends on, but you see it especially with. Uh, like AEW and NXT, which are the the younger, hipper shows, where yeah. nobody wants to be the straight, uh, you know, uh, Horseman Flair or even somebody like a, a Turncoat Sergeant Slaughter in '91, where you know you had to change venues because of death threats. Like nobody wants to be the real heel. Everybody wants to be the cool, smarmy tweener and. So, you know, how do I get invested in a match when I'm, when even as a diehard fan, I, I have no idea who I'm supposed to care about. It's so funny because I was talking to 
John Alight this morning about uh, what uh, we were talking with Dan, and then and then we were talking about this in a, in a much different way. That with this whole mob genre, <laughs> we were talking about doing this movie, and he said all these all people that the Gotti trolls are going to watch this movie. And I said, yeah, that's because you're the heel. You know, that's the, that's the thing. It, it, they love to, if you hate something, you're more apt to go out and watch it. And, and you've got to have love or hate. You can't have in between. Yeah. You know, I'm curious. I'd love to hear one of your stories. You talked about playing the chic. You posted something on your social media recently of, of a young kid with a, a that was me. Your, you, that was me. Yeah, you said it was kid. the first time. The first time you dressed up as the chic. Could you can you put us in the mindset of young the young granimal who wants to be the chic? Like yeah. like what's the story behind that photo? I, you know what's funny? I, I I found that picture in a scrap album, photo album of me with the chic headdress on, and I I don't know if that was. I imagine that was probably during Halloween, but you know what's hilarious? I, I had, a, I sent it to Rhonda, um, uh, Bragg and, and Jerry who run the APW. And I said, this is me in 1980 or 81 or whatever. And I said, uh, this is when my parents came to Iran and adopted me <laughs> and they both at first his wife and she said she said so you really are you really are one of them you really are one of them from iran you know because i did the chic over there for a long time and i mm-hmm. went back and forth with her i said yeah i said you know i, I just started b i said because they don't know dates right said, yeah it was it was just before the iran contra and the, the whole and, and i said it was it was it was a unique time back then where uh, Iran was was wanting to have youth adopted, you know. But I never forgot my roots. And then I and then I went a little further and I said, you know, my uh, my name, my young name was uh, was Abbas Baziri. And I said, uh, I actually wasn't the father of Iron Sheik. I was I'm actually his nephew, and I worked them like the whole thing. Like that after I found that picture, <laughs> and that those are the guys that run the promotion because they never knew if I, you know, because I and I could have gone in there completely in character. I did for the fans, but I should have kept it in the locker room when I was chic out there, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as as far as that picture goes, I think that was uh, it was March of 1982, and uh. I, my mom, my mom saw it. She said that she thought that it was um, something with the church, you know, for wise men or whatever. Right. She thought it was something to do with the, you know, around Christmas time with the with the church. Uh, but I don't know where if it was either with the church or if it was for. Uh, uh, but but yeah, as soon as I found that picture, I knew I had to exploit it because I had done the chic chic uh, gimmick there for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always, I always liked the, uh, the heels. I always loved the heels and, um, Iron Sheik was one of my favorites. So, um, yeah, I always had that in mind and, 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 and uh, it was more when I moved to the South, um, uh, pro wrestling in the South thing. And that's a thing too. You go to some of the, the smaller indie shows in the South, the people really do believe and they really do buy into it. And I used to, and what I used to do um, when I was a chic in the South at APW, and um, I used to do it a lot at Lawrence Fairgrounds for Southern Championship Wrestling in South Carolina. And I did some of the bar shows as a chic in Columbia. Uh, is I would go in, and if there were kids there, I would start yelling at the kids in like fake Farsi. <laughs> and get the parents, and, and some of those parents. Oh man, I had a, uh, what was when I was King of Connecticut that I had a old lady hit me with a cane, but you go to some of the smaller promotions in the South and it is like stepping back in time. And that's cool. That's what I, that's where I love to do professional. That's why I've always loved to do professional wrestling. I, I don't, I don't like it 
I don't really follow. I haven't followed WWE really in years. Um, but I, I love, uh, I love the South people in the, in the South, they get much more into it. And the whole King of Connecticut was the arrogant Yankee character. Mm-hmm. That's, that's another, that was another great one. You can, you can get real heat, you know, in the South. You know, it's funny because they, they say you hear it before, you know, the best characters are yourself turned up to 11 and following you on social media, it, it, you can see little bits of where, you know, the line blurs, which I, I give you credit on the kayfabe angle. The line blurs between this guy posting pictures, you know, I'm going to flex and here's a, a beautiful woman and I'm better than you. Yeah. And then the next post is you in an Elvis costume. You know, look at all you Southern hicks. I'm so much better than yeah. you. Look at these be- beautiful women. And it's the same. It's the same person. It's how the, the line blurs. And you don't see that anymore. Yeah. Did you ever see the my original King of, when I started the King of Connecticut? Did you ever see the original promo? That was the best. No, I'll have to I'll look that one that, up. You, oh, yeah. You you've said I, I've seen a lot of love the work. It goes back a while. That goes back a while. That was when I stopped doing the sheik when I came up with the idea for King of Connecticut, and it was uh, it was they were doing a karaoke. Uh, challenge thing between me and another wrestler at APW, Chuck Sloan. And that was where I came up with the idea. And that, that promo, when I went back um, to back home to Connecticut, I did a fundraiser for my old wrestling team for the match. And I always say that's my favorite match I ever did because I, I got the headline in the, in the gym where I first started wrestling. And, and it was phenomenal uh, to go back home. And that was the guy who put that together, Spiro Papacosmos, who was who had been our team captain back in the day. And he still was very involved in Norwalk Wrestling <laughs> with a new coach, the current coach. And he said, he showed the coach that King of Connecticut promo. Joe Fernandez, the guy's, guy's the coach now. And that guy, he said that they laughed so loud when they – they saw that they said we gotta get him back here to do that wrestling show. <laughs> and that's the that's one of my favorite promos. I'll say because a lot of people don't know how I started doing that thing in Connecticut. You know, I did it, did it with the toothbrushes, the bringing the foreign objects uh, to help educate the youth, to help save the youth. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it, but the way that it started, the promo was really fun. Uh, and I'm gonna have fun with it. These mob guys are characters, man. You know, these guys are characters. You know that. Right. And I'm going to have fun. I mean, I'm having equal fun doing this stuff now, but the pro, pro wrestling's always been last. I, I think Matt, Matt actually gets it because to me, to, it, to be successful, it's got to be a combination of entertaining, but at the same time, legitimate. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got a chance to wrestle T.J. Jaworski last year well, and Stefan Bonner. You know, Stefan Bonner, UFC Hall of Famer. Uh, but I got a chance to wrestle T.J. T.J.'s the greatest wrestler ever from University of North Carolina. Uh, but he's only he, he's only about 140 pounds soaking wet. Uh, and he was cap, He was a coach for Davidson. And he, he agreed to wrestle me. I was doing a coach clinic up there. I wanted his coaching clinic in Davis. He agreed to come and wrestle me. He did it with a mask, but he, a lot of the amateur wrestling people um, liked that match because it was like, it was a good match. And you know what he did? He said, you know, he was, he was so fast um, and he got behind me so quick that he could, you know, he was leaving me openings, you know, cause he's an Olympic Olympic champion. Uh, he was leaving me openings, but the match was so realistic. Everybody thought that that was real. You know, afterwards, because, you know, it's, and it's easy to make people believe, you know, it's, if you wrestle that style, like I wrestled, um, I did, ha- I wrestled uh, Shane Lee, who was a kid I had coached in high school. He wrestled at the Citadel and um, that's a D1 school, but I beat him. We, he was smaller than me. And also, you know, um, he, he had had something, something to drink, but we, we, we shot a bit at beer babes and brawls years ago for some of the Citadel uh, some of the Citadel wrestlers. So you can, you know, you can, you can go in there in the wrestling ring. The marquee says wrestling. That's, that's, that's always got, should be the number one thing. You know, the marquee says wrestling. 
Yeah, absolutely. Benny, as we uh, as we wrap up our our wonderful talk with the Granimal, uh, you got oh, you any final questions? Hear a funny, you guys want to hear two quick funny stories I was oh, going to tell you? Absolutely. Go for it. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a Dan Severn story and a Phil Baroni story. So we talked about Dan. But Dan Severn, um, I was with the distributor for Aviator Brewing, and I was with the owner, and they did a beer for Dan called October Beast. And uh, he came down to do it. We did a show together, Feast with the Beast, which is uh, like a bar show uh, where fans ask questions and stuff. And he's there at the bar with me and the owner of this brewery. And the owner of the brewery is so excited because he has this October beast. And he's so excited to see Dan's reaction. And Dan sniffs it, takes a little sip, and he says, ah, ah, this just isn't for me, fellas. And he says to the gal, he says, young lady, uh, could you please get me a glass of chilled rosé with just a splash of Diet 7-Up? And that drink was is still known throughout South Carolina as the Dan Severn, the least manly drink for one of the most manly men. Don't tell him that. And and, uh, and, and I'll tell you a funny Phil Baroni story. Uh, so we were in uh, South Carolina. We were doing the seminars, and um, I, he was staying with this girl. I couldn't stand to stay in my house. It was impossible to be around. So I, I sent him. I hooked him up with this girl, and she. Um, she had him out on his, on her boat and they were out for the day. So he goes, he goes, I'm getting sick of this. I'm getting sick of this bro. Let's go. Let's go to the strip club. Let's go. To this. So we went to the strip club and the guy who was the bouncer manager at the door, the guy I knew, he, he was a fighter, uh, an amateur fighter from Kentucky. I'd actually cornered against him, but he was a huge Phil Baroni fan, huge Phil Baroni fan. This shows you Phil's, some of Phil's, uh, some of Phil's mob background and some of his viciousness. So the guys, oh, comping our drinks and everything. Uh, everything's on me. He's so excited. So I'm sitting there and I got this beautiful Honduran girl on my lap. And Phil comes and pulls on my shirt. And he says, we got to get out of here. We got to get the hell out of here. And he and I said, oh, well, what's going on? He goes, come on, get out of here. So we're going towards the door and these uh, three strippers chasing him. He takes one of the girls and just shoves her back. And keep in mind, this is the guy who is a huge Phil Baroni fan, the, the, the guy that runs the place. So the girl goes, this guy, he's robbing us. He's robbing us. And the guy who's the manager says to these girls, get your SH and get out of here. You're done for the night. This is my special guest. And Phil goes, oh, thanks, bro. Thanks, bro. And he goes, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. So we go and we get in my car and Phil's got cargo shorts on and he pulls out these three money bags. He had robbed the strippers. And I say, where else are you going to go to a strip club and walk out of there with substantially more money than you had when you walked in, unless you're hanging out with the NYBA, the New York badass himself. Mr. Phil Baroni, who hopefully will be fighting Gotti the third. Absolutely. Any final thoughts, Benny? Well, I, I think, Matt, number one, the show has lived up to its hype. Uh, I've, I've been like fascinated by this whole thing. But I think Matt has actually pointed out the difference between sports entertainment and physicality that's also entertaining. Big difference. Yeah. Absolutely. And I got it. Before I go, I got a quick joke for you guys. What's you, you got? Heard this joke that's been going around. What's 230 pounds dashingly handsome and disappears in an instant? <laughs> oh, shit. Nice. <laughs> Best punchline ever. <laughs> that, that is hilarious. For those that don't get why we are laughing, as soon as he told the, the joke, he hung up. We got wonderful. Fun. Nice. Oh my gosh, Matt is a a case and a half uh, of joy. Anything you look at, uh, his he's. It's funny that he talks about looking up to the Iron Sheik because I've said before the Iron Sheik is one of the few reasons I stay on Twitter 
following Matt Granahan on social media is one of the few one think, of the few pleasures I get from from social media too. If you look in a picture dictionary under character, I think you'd see Matt's picture. Yeah, easily. And and like I said, every 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 post he's got is him and and wrestling and fighting and beautiful women and cooking good looking food and cigars it, it the, the man's living life as definitely living the life any anywhere it's funny anywhere there's a wrestler a martial artist or a mobster and a camera they're gonna they're probably sitting next to matt at some absolutely. point absolutely <laughs> great show though i really i really Abs- enjoyed him absolutely and these are the kind of special shows we have we'll get to uh Get back to our normal wrestling program with the show being uploaded this week. Benny, why don't you tell us, uh, tell everybody who the next guest is. Our next guest is Dave Duenel, Ref Dave. So Dave uh, refereed in WWE. Well, actually, it was WWF back at the time. ECW, NWA, AWA, uh, just about every uh, indie promotion on the East Coast. And he, he got into wrestling, and he'll talk about it, on a dare. You know, he's watching wrestling with his friends on TV, and he... Pretty much said, this guy, this ref sucks. And one of his friends says, what, do you think you could do better than that? And he said, well, yeah, I could. And it, and it all started from there. So I really, I, he's got a lot of good stories. Really look forward to hearing from Dave. There you go. And that's, that's we keep bringing all the fun. Um, Benny, we, we've had a lot of good uh, a lot of good times this month. It's, it's August already. We're coming up on, on the, the, the end of the summer, the end of the fall. Pretty soon, next thing you know, we'll be talking about having done this for for a long time. Yeah, but we move along, and uh, wouldn't have done it without everybody. Or, or like I said, episodes like this where where Matt actually reached out to us, and and we had a lot of fun talking to him and some great stories. So for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spastiano. Have a good night, everyone, and as always, happy wrestling. Good night. <laughs>